fábrica, no. Dzień dobry. Dzień dobry. Jak tam? Bardzo dobrze. Very well. All fine. Super. I hope you're fine too. Life is good. Life is good. We are happy to have you back. We had Magda here like a year ago for the email or in the name of episode, a Polish movie from 2013. So I believe you you are the first uh, recurring, reappearing guest. So. <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> well, in that case, you are just not encountering the entire Bond marathon, which you have been thumping up here on the podcast. God knows how many times. I am aware of this. Tom ha- is in a kind of a special situation because he is doing all the James Bond films that you can hear every Thursday of the uh, he, of he, the last. He's not he's not counted as a as a guest or a human being <laughs> uh, 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 for that matter. No, he is uh, counted as something much more. Henrik, my dear co-host, how you been? Ah, oh, been busy, been gold, been, been, been kind of a hectic all around, but still being, still here. Still here. We're starting still. to get to some kind of a veteran territory, in a sense. Well, it's gonna be funny to listen to this after 25 years, or but if you're going to stick <laughs> with me. <laughs> it's been it's been quite a while. We started this in 2018 in August, if memory serves. Somewhere, yeah, around that corner. It was the summer times. Yeah, every bloody week since. Yep. Still here. Still here. So congratulations for you know doing the, uh, it for so long. <laughs> well, thank you. I guess that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it did never us the right to do that self-masturbation every 50th anniversary <laughs> episode, which was a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, and nobody has liked that one. Magda, to change gears, what's the film of the night, Magda? Film of the night is Ziemia Obiecana. It's the Polish title, but the English title is The Promised Land. The biblical reference is pretty much justified. The film is directed by famous Polish director Andrzej Wajda. Indeed, one of the um, Polish classics. One of the Polish classics, which are kind of renowned worldwide as well. For example, Martin Scorsese uh, was talking about Andrzej Wajda's masterpieces, like, I think, Kamal or The Generation, about uh, Second World War experience, Ashes and Diamonds, about post-war experience. Great film. Yes, Martin Scorsese appreciated a lot the whole, like, work of Andrzej Wajda. He got an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a nominee for films like Cutting, Man of Iron, Maids of Vilka, and The Promised Land, of course, which we are talking about today. For our listeners, uh, I can wholeheartedly, well, uh, it's a really dark film, of course, but Cutting is something that you should watch, mm-hmm. dear listener. 
It's about the mm-hmm. Stalin's mass executions of uh, Poles in in Russia in Katyn. Yes, exactly. Quite like dark part of Polish history during the Second World War. Yeah, also a very dark chapter on the director's personal life, since his father was, as as I've come to, come to understand, was murdered by the Soviets in in the yes. same massacre. Yes, it was kind of a part of like personal family history for Andrei Vaid as well, making this movie pattern. Yeah, Andrei Vaida lived a long life. He was with us with us until mm-hmm. 2016. Lived in yes. until to his 90s. Born in the northeastern town of Suvauki, uh, which is in the Lithuanian border region. Like, is it 20 kilometers from the border? It's also the coldest place in Poland. Oh yeah, because of the altitude. Yes, considering like the average temperatures for the air. Yeah, and he has also made the film adaptation of uh, Pantadeusz. Exactly. Uh, called Pantadeusz, the last foray in Lithuania, a uh, film from 1999. Yes. Pantadeusz is something that probably most of our listeners will not know, but it's a it's an epic poem from the Polish poet, writer, philosopher Adam uh, Mickiewicz, kind of like a national treasure of Poland that everybody knows of inside of Poland. Yes, uh, but it starts with Lithuania, my countryside. So as for a Polish national poem. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, true. Like epic poem, let's say. Yeah, Andrzej Vajda is very much into turning national treasures into film adaptations mm-hmm. because The Promised Land is originally as well a novel. Yes. The film is based on a book by Władysław Reymont. Or maybe exactly. you want to give the pronunciation as well for this. Władysław Reymont. You did it well. Okay, thanks. Władysław Reymont is a Nobel laureate, and uh, it's seen as one of his most important works, this The Promised Land, after a book called The Peasants. Mm-hmm. And originally this was um, published in Łódź, the city that this movie is all about. Tells the story of three friends who are ruthless young industrialists. There's a Pole, German, and a Jew. And the themes are around the labor exploitation during the late 19th century industrialization. So he kind of discusses the themes of environmental degradation and urbanization. And I I believe we are going to touch on some other themes as well. The book has been translated into English in 1927. Unfortunately, this podcast, at least from my part, was unable to get hands on to this book. But Magda mm-hmm. is here to save us once again. <laughs> uh, at least you have read it, but it's like 25 years ago, if I get it correct. Yes, but yesterday, yes, because it's like it's one of these classic which you uh, read and watch before you even re- realize it, because it's still on the TV, like Jimmy Ogetana as a movie. I, I like reading, so I've read uh, all the classics quite early, so I needed to refresh it yesterday. <laughs> Oh, both movie, uh, yeah, both uh, I watched the movie once again, uh, but is again it's, it's the movie you can watch over and over, uh, which one of my friends who comes from Wood actually does all the time. So I have it refreshed, and I hope I will remember it well. All the people. Henrika, I think it's a moment to already raise the hat for our guest Magda, who has been working with such a speed uh, and uh, joined this podcast with a very short notice. 
Most definitely. I mean, not only is Magda the most familiar with the work, with, with the film, and also the only one who has read the book, but also yeah. on on top of that, behind the scenes, Magda came to our aid in a very short notice here to save our save our backs and to actually make sure that we do have a guest for this episode. Yeah. No worries. Thank you for the invitation. We are very pleased to have you back. Thank you. Me, me too. Magda, have you by any chance seen also the very early film adaptation? Because there is a Zemia Obietzana, The Promised Land from 1927 as well. Yes, I know, but I haven't seen it. But actually it's very interesting information and I will definitely watch it after. <laughs> I would have tried to watch it, but at least I, have, I was having trouble finding it. But maybe you have your sources. Mm-hmm. There is also an adaptation for TV, like a TV serial from 1978, mm-hmm. so anyone interested can look it up. Okay, let's <clears throat> talk some little more lightweight topics. For example, Industrial Revolution. Henrik, <laughs> can I throw this ball to you at this point? No, you can't. <laughs> anyway, Industrial Revolution, we can thank uh, Industrial Revolution for the film itself for existing or this, the existence of this forlorn podcast. But yeah, it's an event that started in Europe and the US with force. It happened some, somewhere between 1760 to sometime between 1820 to 1840. The historians are not exactly decided on this, but somewhere around there, let's say. And of course, you know, it developed the trade and the rise of the business and leading causes for unprecedented population growth and the material wealth and having more stuff than having actually so much stuff that we have to store it. The United Kingdom was the main responsible party for the development of the industrial methods. And in some instances, the worker output was increased 500 times. We can also thank coal, unfortunately, for the Industrial Revolution. Coal, which was, it was causing environmental damage, well, of course, also risks for the inhabitants of such industrial cities. And uh, it's kind of hard to think about it, but actually in the 1800s, there were concerns for environmental degradation during this time as well, and uh, taking over a lot of land to put these uh, factories into function. Anything to add to these these thoughts about this very simple subject? I also found what some people uh, mentioned in the book and in the movie are based on real people who were running factories in woods. They were very rich and they, for example, possessed uh, one of the very first steam engine machines in Poland. Okay. Yes, and what is really interesting about wood it's that uh, wood itself is actually as an industrial city, as a big city, is actually a child of industrial revolution. Before it was a very small uh, village or a very small town belonging to the 19th century. It uh, was a part of Congress Poland, but then it was incorporated into Russian Empire after this November uprising. Some of this Russian empire even thought about making a city a village again, because it was a village and it was the city, and then it was so small that they decided to make it a village again. So I think Polish government of Congress Poland decided to make it industrial. Uh, They relocated 
textile industry. So, they, so some people were started to move there from Wielkopolska, Greater Poland or Silesia, or even Czech or uh, Brandenburgia, I don't know the English name. So they started to move there people which were experts in textile. They started to uh, develop the city. So unlike, for example, Krakow and Warsaw, which have really rich history as a big cities and centers of cultural and industrial life as well, before the Industrial Revolution, which is definitely a child of uh, Industrial Revolution. Yeah, okay. And nowadays it is the third biggest city in Poland. Exactly. So it has about 700,000 uh, people and um, suffered quite a lot economically after the world wars, but has recently kind of risen up once again. I hope so, but it will last. Yes, uh, not m- that much mm. after after the Second World War, as after uh, 89, which when Wood started to be um, not take her, taken good care about. I, I don't know what are exact reasons, actually, but it was an example of the very uh, like unpleasant city, let's say. But now it's getting revitalized, and I hope it will, it will last, and Wood is getting more and more beautiful. Mm. Uh, many of our listeners probably want to know where roughly Wuch is. So uh, Wuch is, it's roughly <coughs> 120 kilometers southwest of Warsaw. So very close. You can get there in like in a few hours by a bus. Some people go to work. Like they live in Wuch, but they, for example, go to work to, to Warsaw by train, which is faster. Yes, and uh, Wuch actually is a Polish word for boat. Exactly. Do you know the background of the boat? Why is it a boat? It's not confirmed where it, where it comes from. Probably not from the boat itself, because it had no uh, rivers which might be used to, to you know, where boats might, might be placed. So probably not from the boat, really. <laughs> but there are some different theories about uh, coming from the name of the person or, or something like that. And uh, the brick-built factories, the, the buildings themselves are still, at least partly are standing in which uh, I guess they are used for some a little bit different purposes nowadays. Or do you know if there's something going on in these buildings? Some of them are museums, yeah? Some of them they are museums, for sure. Pałat Poznańskiego. Poznański Palace, which was this very rich building with, uh, where Miller was living, is now a museum. Okay. Yes, but about these industrial uh, industrial buildings, sometimes they were they became, for example, loft apartments. They were revitalized for different purposes. This Poznański factory, which was used in the uh, in the movie. Uh, is now a multifunctional shopping and entertainment center called Manufactura. Oh, yeah, 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 that is that is definitely there. And yes. it's uh, also known internationally for its uh, national mm-hmm. film school. Yes, for, for, for example, Roman Polanski was studying. Yeah, and Andrzej Wajda himself. Yes. yes, exactly. And many, many, many famous actors and actresses and Mm-hmm. Uh, there is still the notion that we could make that, uh, yeah, after these world wars, the the business of the Lodger Mensch was greatly diminished. 
their status and their time was over at that point. And like I can see that you made really good research on it. <laughs> also, before we dive in, it would be good to talk about the Lodgermensch or Wuchermensch, however you want to pronounce this. So these were a group of elite people inside Wuch that uh, were responsible for this industrial revolution. And uh, many of the workers in Wuch in the 19th century were people that were coming from different countries. It wasn't really considered in many ways like properly a Polish city or town because there were so many foreigners. And uh, like we see in this film, we have a we have German. I believe very much that this film is also kind of making the point that, you know, these outsiders are not very much wanted in Wuch. Or you could have a different reading. I don't know what you felt, but it felt like mm-hmm. like a very patriotic uh, take sometimes. Kind of, but I think that Wuch was created but by people from these four cultures, as you mentioned, Russians, Jewish, German and Polish people. So they needed to kind of work, to live next to each other and work with each other. Yeah, the Wuchermensch, uh, Lodgermensch, they have been seen sometimes as very, very ruthless people who don't care about exactly. humanity. Yes, it's probably not that much about culture, patriotism and so on. It's yeah, yeah. mostly about money and how ruthless it can be in search right. of money, good, good business, and how bad it makes them. Yeah, there have been arguments uh, for and against uh, this group mm-hmm. called the Lodgermensch. Do you have like an idea how people con- consider this uh, Lodgermensch legacy nowadays? What are people's feelings? Uh, it depends who you, uh, whom you ask to. Yeah. It was shown in the movie. Of course, it was made in, in, the, in this communist time in Poland in 1974 so it was mostly against capitalists and noblemen who wanted to earn money exploiting uh, poorer people which is shown very clearly in the movie and it's even stronger Mm. than in the book but the book has it as well but now we had in poland we have we had this time of really wild capitalism with saying that uh, if you don't have money, it's only your fault. Mm. So I there, yes, there are still some people who, after 89, we had this very wild kind of capitalism. And uh, there's still something around India about it. Okay. So solidarity, solidarity is just often is often just a word. Probably there are, there are many people who'd say that all oh, these people, for example, made wood flourish or they developed the country and its business, which is of course to some extent apparently true, but of course they also exploited people. And for example, there were no any insurances. So they had to uh, pay if the machine got broken because of their, not mistake, because of their accident. If they had an accident and, for example, they were injured, they needed to pay for the machine uh, not working and for the, for the losses of the owner of the factory. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes. Somehow, which has also kept its international makeup. So I know that there are still like Chinese 
people working, for example, some Asian people, there are some people from Middle East. Interesting how, how that has been like that. And has, you know, updated mm. itself. I'm sure that there, there were no Chinese people too much in the 1800s. Who knows? I think so, yes. Yeah. Henrik Magda, would it be scene by scene? Mm-hmm. Unless you still want to go on a tantrum about the currency exchange in Poland. I have a tantrum about exchange. <laughs> well, well, you did have one about the whole ind- industrial revolution, so I was just... Waiting for you to shift gears and jumping the next kind of a larger than life topic. Well, <laughs> I, I I'm f- fairly certain that that both the the form of currency used in Poland has has changed at at some point, and yeah. also exchange in currency and exchange in goods and services is something that is very prominently actually uphold and used in in industrial countries and capitalism altogether. Mm-hmm. No argument there. Of course, we need to remember that Poland was under Russian Empire at the time, like yeah. this part of Poland, so we had rebels there. So uh, this money we are talking about are not Zlotys, which we are using right now. Yeah. Yes, but Slotty was like the, the Polish-Polish currency, but then it was taken out yes. and replaced by the ruble, and then once again replaced by Slotty. Exactly. All right, so this film, there is uh, apparently a director's cut of this film, which is 179 minutes. Okay, Magda, do you actually know if there is a difference, or if there are two versions, in fact? There were some versions, and he's in his there, as far as I know, the director's cut this scene, this erotic scene between Lucy Zuckerman and between Karol Borowiecki in this carriage is shorter in the director's cut, as far as I know. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, definitely there are, there are some, I know, for, for its time, quite graphic moments. So I think I watched, I watched this shorter version yesterday. Yes. Okay. Title sequence, that's what we start with, and... We're depicting a very happy, uplifting mood. The friends are singing on the bikes and uh, going to the father of Karol. There's actually two pieces of music, as far as I have noticed in this film. There, there is the title theme, and then there is the horror theme. <laughs> like, every time when something bad <laughs> is about to happen, we know. Yeah, I've recalled this Anna's theme, like a Kurov theme, ah. which is delicate, very kind of romantic, very... Referring to countryside. Kurov is some small village, right? Kurov is a small village when uh, where uh, Anka, which is Karol Borowiecki, lives. And mm-hmm. when Karol Borowiecki visits her with his friends, it's just cant- beautiful countryside with dogs and garden and forest. And there's this music, which is very much calming and relaxing. When it comes to the cast of characters, there is indeed Karol Borowiecki, which is the kind of charming, good, good-looking guy who gets all the ladies, and the Polish guy of the film. Then we have Moritz Welt, the Jew, and then we have Max Baum, dark-haired individual from Germany. Andrzej Severin, who who is playing Max, mm-hmm. he was born in Germany. I was wondering why he has his German voice parts dubbed while he was. I guess talking in Polish originally. Maybe he never had time to learn German might be the reason. Anyway, mm-hmm. best known internationally from Schindler's List from 1993, 
possibly one of the, one of the most depressing films ever made. Mm-hmm. Then there is a film called Ostatnia Rodzina, The Last Family from 2016. Mm-hmm. There's a very unusual life of the artistic family of a certain painter, Stisław Beksinski. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the other actors, maybe Hendrik knows more. Not that much, actually. Once again, Polish Polish films altogether kind of being the dark spot in my film knowledge. Unfortunately, from the main cast and crew, more well-known films from the rest of the cast. Daniel Olbrychki. 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 Yeah, yeah, precisely that guy. For Western audiences... The those more familiar with, with American films since you started off with Schindler's List, I, I guess from him being the main bad guy in the 2010 Jason Bourne knockoff copycat film Salt. Yeah, he was playing Orlov. Yeah, the An- Angelina Jolie. And Liv Schreiber. Yeah, spy mm-hmm. action film which was supposed to start a franchise and fucking nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the actor playing Maurice, whose name I won't even try to pronounce here. Take it away, Kari. Okay, I will. I will. I will give you a helping hand here, Wojciech Przoniak. Yeah, precisely that guy. <laughs> I, 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 I guess would be. I I don't know how many have seen this, but there there is the old eighty three French film. Danton, where he plays Robespierre. Danton? Yeah. Yeah, Danton, the other Anche Vaida masterpiece, where Pshoniak was. Vaja himself, I guess, from his filmography, the best-known film for Finns and for global audiences would be Ashes and Diamonds. Mm-hmm. And and maybe Katyn. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how familiar release Katyn got when it came out, but Ashes and Diamonds often is remarked as the Andre Vida film. Okay, okay, good to know that because I'm not really like aware of how many Andre Vida's films are well known abroad. Uh, if it comes to Polish cinema in general, then probably you would, as a Finn or as an international listener, you would know also Roman Polanski's Knife in the Water. No, Wojciech Przoniak is also playing now in uh, French theaters. He's very renowned Polish actor. All of them are actually cast of Ziemia uh, Obiecana. This promised land is full of great Polish uh, actors and actresses like Lucy Zukerowa, uh, which is Kalina Jędrusik. Uh, like Bożena Dykiel, who is playing Mada Millerowa, Jerzy Zelnik, Piotr Franczewski, many other names as well. And Wojciech Czoniak was not meant to play uh, Moritz. He was to play Cukier, Lucy's uh, husband. Oh. Huh. So, yes, but he told Andrzej Wajda that they would need to add some more scenes because he's just such a beautiful boy. And <laughs> it's not really... <laughs> Probable that Lucy would look for some other affairs with other people. So uh, he uh, left to visit Uzbekistan. And when he was back, Andrzej Vaida told him that uh, he's gonna to play uh, Moritz. And uh, Jerzy Zelnik, who was going to play Moritz, became Horst. 
So, and also about Andrzej Severin, he is well known from playing for uh, French comedy Francaise. So he is playing in French for a very renowned French theater institution. He's also very renowned and very famous Polish actor. All right. Well, we have a lot of knowledge here tonight. Yeah, that that's why we have. This is the reason why we have guests here, up here. <laughs> Uh, actually, Ziemia Obiecana is uh, getting this title of the best Polish movie all the time in different competitions, or it's the second or the third. So it's always somewhere at the top. Uh, and actually, I think it's it's a really good movie as well, among the, all Polish movies, which I've seen a lot. Promised Land, which uh, indeed refers to Wuch. I don't know if it was wider, widely called as kind of a promised land. I suppose so. I suppose so. I found I found this information in one place, but it was also called like in not in like let's say in the newspapers. It was called Zimia Obitana at this time. All right, let's go to the yard. The yard where cuddles yeah, they're engaged at this point. Yes, they are engaged. Yes. Yeah. Anga appears. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful title music hits in. More titles are coming with Cuddle and Anka on horseback. <laughs> Very romantic. We have a lot of <laughs> wide shots here. We have like camera circles around the characters. Simply shot, saving a lot of time. You know, you take like one wide shot, one main wide shot, and then you add in between some close-ups and uh, voila. Super happy mood here. Then we have the main character introduction. And they uttered the line that is repeated throughout this film. I have nothing, you have nothing, he has nothing. Then together we have just enough to found a big factory at this point. It's a very well-known quotation in Poland. <laughs> taken from this movie, taken from this movie. It was even used by the left side politician after they got some, uh, some seats in Polish parliament in the recent parliament elections and then everybody stopped using it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah that's that's great Mm -hmm. so yeah this is interesting like because everybody had to work together there were catholics protestants Mm -hmm. jews orthodoxes uh, Mm -hmm. and baptists everybody worked side by side because they had to they were forced to tolerate each other as discussed Mm -hmm. and we have a party over dinner like the priest here says that he will come bless the factory once completed and marry Karol and Anka. And mm-hmm. he does the first one, but there's no time for the second one. There's already this conflict with Karol and his father. Like, he thinks that his father is some mummified Polish nobility. Then again, then again, Karol is a, like a weakly person throughout the film, I feel. Like, he's talking in some way about the women of this film, and on the other hand, while he's having these affairs behind the scenes. He plays with three women. And actually from the book, we can find out that he had much, much uh, more lovers. So he's like, he's, he thinks he would marry Anka, but he's also probably don't close his door in terms of some other relationships, if they might be beneficial for him. What it looks like to me is that the, well, he has three women throughout the film. The last one, at least to me, came as a kind of a surprise because I don't think it was built up too much before the end. You know, the, the relationship to uh, Mada. And, yes. um, it, yeah. it, it does get mentioned in, in, in the film and it, it gets laid down. Okay. 
were some were some information pieces of information on it, I suppose, in the dialogues, but also in it is shown in the theater when she's shown in this caricatural way. I must say that it's the diff that there's a difference uh, in comparison to the book, because the book showed Mada as uh, much more subtle, not stupid, oh. and uh, more nuanced. Like, yeah, like the the movie needed to make make some things a bit flat, I suppose, because there are some more sophisticated, deeper descriptions of uh, people's feeling. There are some characters who are totally not mentioned in the in the movie. Some uh, threads were solved in a different way. For example, Travnitsky, this uh, nobleman which commits suicide in the carriage, is nothing like that in the book. <laughs> He's actually, after a few years, after uh, after the book, it is told that he's quite successful, but still uh, honest, and he tries to be honest and a good man. And also these characters, some more things are told about their feelings, they are not that one side, let's say. Because this mother is also uh, in the book, she's a young, nice-looking woman who is probably just shy. But when Carol starts talking to her, she starts uh, to show her in the common sense. And she starts showing that she's not that stupid. Yeah, in in, 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 in the film, Mother serves kind of a, a tool to make a more more sinister point about the yeah. character of Carol. And because of that, Mara kind of can't be that strong of a character in the film itself yes. because it, it, it would water down that, that point that gets played off in the last seconds of the film. It's emphasizing the, the fact that, that this guy is, at least in my books, out for only his self-interest via these ladies mm -hmm. because he's able to get insider information via one lady and uh, mm -hmm. he's, he's able to, well, you know, satisfy himself sexually and he's able to, you know, get money from these ladies. I think he's only looking after his own financial interests. I think so, yes. But also this, like, showing these ladies in such a, like, contrasted way is also, like, I think it goes well with for with them in the movie because it also allows Vaida to show this grotesque character of some relations of which itself and also for female characters it's done. Yeah, good point. Max is inside with Anka. There's this horror music beginning to play again. Then there is a scene of a man inside a house who sings some kind of a prayer. It's actually Buchholz one of the mm -hmm. presidents of these companies in which intercut with factories booing coal clouds. And when it comes to clouds, this film is extremely cloudy. There's always something like steam coming from mm -hmm. somewhere or the coal coming through the windows mm -hmm. or the morning sun kind of making this haze. There's always this haze around outside. I believe this film is very, very much, well, clearly filmed in Wuch. I don't know if anywhere else, but definitely Wuch. Apparently, in, it's mostly filmed in Wuch. Some parts, but very small ones, were, were filmed in Bieskobiała, Wrocław, Skierniewice, which are not very far away from Wuch, I mean Skierniewice. Okay. Actually, as I've heard, people from abroad thought that it was made, uh, like the, the scene was made by Polish scenographers and so on. 
but it's not true actually if I were using real locations. Not in all cases, but for example, they were they created some connections of streets which do not exist in real life. But overall, they were they were using real locations, wood locations, and I think also this city is a great hero of the movie itself. Okay. Uh, there's Pan Vilcek, uh, who is paying, I believe, the salaries of one of these companies, but doesn't mm-hmm. want to give any money for the poor lady. She would need mm-hmm. her salary now or some something with a pledge, because uh, Pan Vilcek doesn't accept anything else than something with a pledge, then gets a very small amount of money. So, yeah, everybody who is in lead positions in this film is basically, <laughs> I don't know, an asshole. So that, it's it's hammering this point very strongly that the, the lodger mensch and any of their associates are not good people. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that because there there is still a certain divide between the different factory owners and e- e- even how the kind of nationality of the old guard of the factory owners is played out. Like you 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 have you have your Polish. Polish family, the the Polish factory owners. These are the parents of, for example, Karol, who are very much traditionalists. You you have the like. the the Jewish community and the factory owners from there, who on the other side are they. I I would say they are the most warmest, the most singing faction in the film, but they are also the ones who constantly make constant mentions of money. And basically, everything they say always re- revolves around money and currency. And then there is the German family, which is shown visually in the in the most coldest tone. Large, dark, barren rooms, but they also are the ones who makes most mentionings about being honest and being fair and not kind of getting too tied up with 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 capitalism and this means to an end way of life which is kind of the driving conflict between Max and his father yeah i was just referring to the trio of the film where i feel that while there is less ruthlessness in Max and Moritz in the beginning of the film by the end of the film especially Moritz has become Pretty much as ruthless as Carl. Uh, Moritz, most definitely, yeah. And I, I would say that that kind of uh, the road to ruthlessness with, with the characters goes that Moritz is the one who 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 becomes the most shady, most uh, the quickest. Carl, e- even though being quite the asshole, still tries to somehow justify his actions and tries still tries to have have these limits like I'm I'm not willing to cross this line. I'm not willing to do that act. And he tries to have this juggling act between doing what is right and at the same time being extremely goal-driven entrepreneur. And Max on the other hand, I, I would say that he is from the from the trio, he is the one who best manages to keep his humanity. Like, Max doesn't really abuse the system that harshly, except in the very last shot of the film. 
when he joins right. their the, the last decision making that the trio does. All in all, I see it as a ruthless, intensifying kind of a film, without that, much that... of a uh, beginning, middle, and an end. In a sense, there is the factory burning, but otherwise, it's very documentary esque. We follow these people, and uh, anything that changes clearly here is, I would say, the development of the characters for the worse. Uh, I would say that kind of a two dimensions of of the of the typical three act structure if you want to go look for them the first one is is the financial the material three act structure which is them wanting to build the factory them having the factory losing the factory or if you want to see it kind of a kind of a larger three mm. act then there is the building losing and rebuilding of the factory and then there is also the the three act structure of them kind of the, the downward slope that their their morality and and their and the values they uphold take very good well throughout the film there are factories burning either somebody is hardly well evidently somebody is protesting really hard against the industrial revolution and trying to burn down these factories first victim is the goldbergs factory which is burning. And usually whenever a factory burns within the film, the notion given is that that someone has burned his own factory in order to pull off an insurance scam. The film does confirm in the end, in the last third, that that's not necessarily the case. Every single time, as it as it turns out with, with the factory of the of the main trio, but yeah, the factory burnings that happened all over Woods, apparently, or everybody is, is giving the notion that they, they are insurance scams, that the now bankrupt factory owners themselves are pulling off. And that kind of ties down into what I would see as one of one of the main topics of the of the film, which is capitalism and depicting capitalism as a as a form of kind of a group hysteria and and a way to achieve a status symbol, like... The capitalists in the film are not necessarily capitalists because they really have hammered down this great idea for business, because they somehow have tucked on into this undefiable quote-unquote entrepreneur spirit. But they are capitalists because they want to be capitalists, because it's a, it's a status symbol in the society to be a capitalist, to own a factory. Where I got this reading was from the fact that, like you mentioned, at this point, or in, in the very early on in the film, everybody is already burning their factories. So, in on that regard, the capitalist system, capitalist system in Woods is already kind of a scene collapsing and not being as strong as everybody would want to see it to be. There's the factory burnings, there are the suicides to avo- avoid bankruptcy. And yet at the same time, w- with your common sense, that you would make the case that, that in, in that economical situation, the worst possible idea you would ma- have would be starting a factory of your own. Like the economical structure obviously is not supporting yet one more factory. And yet that still is what the trio is striving at. It's not very like... Uh, one thing you want to, people to do 
because there are also some victims and uh, they, they decide the state or the insurance companies. But in many cases, it's, if these are not even parents to, to avoid bankruptcy, they want to bankrupt, <laughs> really. Mm. Who wants to work? Me. Everyone is excited to work in this scene where we also have a poor woman, uh, her husband. Mm-hmm. Husband's head has been chopped off in the factory and uh, actually one of the workers of the factory advises her to sue the company. Has lived in Wuch something like two years and is cursing Wuch a lot. And we will see that this Mr. Horn will have a little bit of a beef with the HQ of the company with their views that she shouldn't go to court in any way and should be just hush-hushed with money. Mm-hmm. Without that much money, of course, because they would probably yeah. have paid her more if she's used them. Exactly. And uh, so Mr. Horn now tells to his superior, uh, he's talking to uh, Borowiecki. Mm-hmm. A woman was there and uh, he told the woman to seek a lawyer and that she should sue the factory and says this line, mm-hmm. I'm not a machine, I'm a person. Sounds like something that could be kind of iconic as well. <laughs> Exactly. And what Karol Borowiecki answers him is also interesting. He says that the factory doesn't care of his human instincts and his human like compassion, let's say. As long as he works in a factory, he actually needs to be a machine and he's paid for the work for the factory. And it's also visible in the book when Buchholz thinks of uh, Karol Borowiecki as his best machine. So it's also mm. well noted, like well noted by Andrei Vaida and well extracted how uh, capitalism treats people as machines. This aspect gets even more important and uh, current now when we probably stand at the very threshold of robots working commonly instead of people. So maybe it's, it's, it's for the future. Maybe it's not, but there's this thread and people are afraid of it. And I think this scene and this aspect of the book and of the film also seen in a scene when this very thin and very old worker comes to Karol Borowiecki and asks about new machines which are going to be installed. And after that, they would probably, people probably uh, would get fired, fired, some people. So it gets even more like modern, <laughs> uh, up to date. Yeah, gonna be interesting. We're kind of on the verge of the next stage of the, the next industrial revolution with the takeover yes. of the machines. And it's a big subject to discuss, but on, on the overall, it's exciting to see where this is going because we're all the time. Since mm-hmm. the beginning of time, basically, we are we are doing more stuff with less resources. This that uh, is sometimes called uh, ephemeralization. So doing more with less. And interesting to see how far you can push this one as we go forwards. Okay. And we have to always, you know, make it faster and faster because of the loss mm-hmm. of the uh, economies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So pretty up-to-date movie now. Yeah. Yeah. Is it even if it's like 45 years old? It looks like uh, Moritz has some guy working under him who is supposed to read all the day's news from the dailies and uh, mm-hmm. then report back to him 
there's a lot I of I think this. also just also just hear news from people blabbering or saying something you know this mouth-to-mouth information which is not official probably yeah. he's also bothering that for him street talk mm-hmm. max uh, now watches the factory pipes max father wastes time by not updating to the latest machinery mm-hmm. and he's afraid that his father will destroy them because he's not up for up- updating his his systems and uh, indeed it's going to be his downfall And uh, yeah, this is a kind of a cinematic moment, father looking out of the window and all that, you know, looks good. And the guy loses his arm now at the factory where, where Borowiecki is working, Karol Borowiecki. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where we are uh, exposing more of the rootlessness. It's just somebody has gotten his hand cut off and uh, the guy is completely out and probably dead. Karol says, back to the machines. So much cloth wasted. Yes, and all other people, like workers, are just standing, saying nothing, and they need to get back to work. They must be very afraid of doing anything. Yes, they they need to work, so they cannot say no. And co-worker Travinsky is asking for a loan. Travinsky has 15,000 rubles to pay. He has his own factory. Ah, yes. Okay, yeah. And uh, he doesn't want to talk to Buholz, the big guy of the company, Because that would be below his noble uh, madness. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's it's his point of view, right? That he that doesn't want to go to um, to people whom he does not respect. It's unlike the, the trio here. Travinsky is not willing to go the extra mile and uh, suck his pride. Exactly, and do everything for money. Yes, yeah. it's not like that. So now Kalman is burning financially. Grossman, everyone burning. Fellows, Fishpin, I don't know if these are more important characters in the book, but uh, there's so many names mentioned throughout the film. Sometimes it's hard to keep track. Yes, yes, because the book is a kind of, we call it in Polish panorama, uh, to show the whole society from the very top to the very bottom. And also different people express different, different opinions. We have this monologues to express different points of view. So that's what, that's how it was done in novels there. I think Vida tried to, to some extent, as much as it was possible, to reflect it in the movie, to show the whole food and different approaches, different people, as we already uh, said, different cultures. So uh, you probably refer to this scene when this old man talks about wood itself. Right about how it develops. Uh, yeah, that, well, there is this this older guy who is talking to Travinsky and saying yes. what would be the ideal version of Wuch, basically. Yes, exactly. It's one of these examples. Yeah, indeed. You know, he seems to be very excited, but it seems like a kind mm-hmm. of kind of like a camouflage. That let's keep the, keep up this act, and uh, Travinsky is not listening and shoots mm-hmm. himself into mm-hmm. the head. Yeah. So uh, if we just get back to this Hermann Buchholz, his prototype, let's say, was Karol Schäbler, who, for example, foresaw cotton prices caused by American Civil War. So he bought it cheaper and he really earned a lot uh, of it. And it's also somehow reflected also the reflection of real conditions which were present in, in Wood and in what this Wood factory owners worked in. As Henry can probably guess, I was looking for the historical exchange rates of rubles and slotties, but unfortunately, <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I couldn't, no, no, I couldn't find it as well. 
Here is one of the moments where Moritz is not being the nicest uh, employee or a human being. Kessler is the, the boss of, of Moritz is looking for some kind of a sex slave or a wife, you know. He doesn't trust mm-hmm. Poles. He has set his eye on uh, Zoska uh, and the brother of hers, Adam, goes to inform his father that uh, Zoska got in trouble with Kessler and uh, and now the father says that he himself will deal with Kessler regarding this issue. Later on, sends a, sends a letter to him and they have a little bit of a battle. Yes, but, but it's later on. And now uh, I think what's important here is to emphasize that Kessler was just going through the factory and picking the girls he liked to sexually assault them or yeah. to make them his lovers and then abandon and then take another one. Uh, female workers in his factory. In her situation, it's either have some sexy time with Kessler or spend the rest of her life in the factory doing the same thing. Magda, do you know if these uh, palace shots in the several palaces of these uh, presidents, do you think these were or were also shot in uh, Wuch or? All of these palace, palace were uh, this, the most famous palace shots were made in palace of Israel Poznański. So is the place that was built by another famous wood capitalist. For shorter, it's called Pałat Poznańskiego. It's in Łódź, yes, Pałat Poznańskiego. Now it's a museum of the city. Oh, definitely have to visit next time. Yes, yes. Yeah, because now we're getting one of these, these palace scenes. Mongrel is the servant of of Buholtz and uh, they are going through hate mail and laughing at those. This episode between Carol uh, and Buholtz with these letters was made in current musical pandemic. Mm-hmm. And yes, this fireplace still exists, but then there was a clock on it. And now it's just uh, like, Something else. It's the palace of Karol Poznański. So not Israel Poznański, but Karol Poznański. Okay, good. We have a scene where the peasants come to meet Karol because they need some work. They are coming from mm-hmm. Guruv. Mr. Mm-hmm. and Mrs. Soha, they are requesting for work. Yes. And some, quote, bitch has torched their home. So that is kind of the issue. They are being very dramatic. Well, uh, I guess in that situation, mm-hmm. any, anybody would be screaming their head off like... Jesus, mm-hmm. please help us already in this situation. And 25,000 has been arranged to Borowiecki from Lucy, Lutze. Well, let's say we may stick to English pronunciation or... Yeah. Yeah, like, geez, everybody is indeed torching its, each other's houses and buildings. Like, I guess, thank goodness for the industrial revolution. So we got a little bit more <laughs> robust buildings. But so... Mm-hmm. We get to rich people's party time. So, time to start dancing. Karl is being offered work, 14,000 rubles to work with another guy. and But he turns down the offer, but says uh, uh, he's very kind and says that if he decides to join later on, he will still get 8,000 rubles for his services. This is very nice, but there are also some offers that are being made to, for example, Moritz, and he keeps turning down each and all of them. Seems that there's a big grudge that everybody has towards the the Polish person inside Wuch. And this is where I felt that uh, they want to get rid of him because he's he's Polish and uh, Wuch is still kind of like, I guess, a very German city, you could say. 
Well, they're man Jewish, and they. Uh, it is said that uh, he might be dangerous because he's Polish. Right. And but even better to stick to to German people than to Polish people. We get to theater, and uh, Karol is being asked how many millions, as in money, are in the theater, and he says maybe two mm-hmm. hundred. Uh, yeah, one of them says that. Uh, like I think Moritz says that uh, it smells millions. Karol Borowiecki answers. It's rather of onion and garlic. And why they are especially doing this, are they doing this to find more victims to get some insider scoops from these ladies that are wearing the most expensive stuff? You could go with that. Definitely they are not there for the theater, they are there there to gather information. Actually, it's mostly like, it's, it's, it's also a charity show, so it's not very professional. It's good to be present on such occasions as well. And also they can talk to some, like, to, to some people, they can uh, observe people, for example, reach uh, factory owners, which uh, are there. You know, I'm very del- delighted with this one guy who is having all the fun. <laughs> I paid so I can have my fun. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's Müller. He's not very sophisticated, but he knows what he likes and he knows what he pays for. It's all about money and nothing else. Yeah, very much. And uh, then we are referring to Madame Müller, which is, I believe, the daughter of this uh, Mr. Müller. Mm-hmm. Yes, Madame Mada Müller is a daughter of uh, Mr. Müller. She's quite young, pretty dumb and irritating young lady in the movie. Very. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but Karol Borowiecki uh, tries to entertain her, tries to be nice to her kind. Let's say he uses his charm uh, to keep some doors open. He doesn't use so much of that said charm when he's talking with the trio and says that he's like a pink-plucked goose. But nevertheless, at the end of the film, yes. we find out that he is actually romantically involved with the lady. I, I don't know about rom- romantically. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, um, let's say financially, <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, I think we can uh, we can tell that now that eventually they get mar- married, like Manda and Karol Borowiecki. Even yeah. though he doesn't like her, he doesn't respect her. Also, this scene in the theater, this set in the theater, is really nice in terms of showing this grotesque character of the whole wood, because they are all laughing in a very like spooky way. They kind of a bit scary. It's emphasized, it's very expressive, it's not very pleasant to see it. The singers performing on the stage are rather comic figures, caricatures maybe, and it's rather grotesque than subtle. When it comes to caricature, there's a lot of caricature type. Theater-influenced acting, maybe the old style of acting in Poland and, well, every corner of the world. It's very theatrical, sometimes kind of uh, did get on my nerves. Yes, sometimes sometimes it's too much. Exactly, I agree. Yeah, all right. And um, then there is something that has happened. There's some cotton problems. And Alpasov Mm -hmm. in Odessa is bankrupt and some other person as well. Somebody has shot himself in the Mm -hmm. theater corridors. Could it be said or argued that one of the Lodgermensch was killed on the corridors? Well, Karol is probably thinking that he's going to be the next if this was a Lodgermensch killed in the corridors. Maybe. I I, I, I took it that that was just a suicide, w- once again. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So Carol kind of seduces the, you could say, kind of the, the concubine of, uh, of, of the film, which she will not get to be. But um, she delivers the message, which just pops out of nowhere in between them in the carriage somehow. <laughs> Even in the, in the middle of the erotic interaction, there's money again. All the time money with no like break. Yeah, and uh, somehow these ladies, they are so into the high life uh, being with these men that I guess they are kind of, in a sense, blinded that they don't care that these men really don't care about these women and at least mm-hmm. Carol and is just making them as his tools. And so gets the message that uh, the, the custom duty of American cotton has will be increased to 25 kopecks mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. going to be ha- happening in two weeks and announced in a one week. And now he has the upper hand, Carol has the upper hand, so... Yeah, well, he's buying a, a tons of cotton at this moment. Mm-hmm. Just to use this still smaller prices. Yeah. And, of course, he tells his news only to his friends, Moritz and Max. Yeah, and then we have everybody drunk at the house. There's uh, a lot of this high life depicted in this film, like, like, like this le- leisure mm-hmm. life. Surrounding these rich, rich people that nobody likes. <laughs> and the uh, drunken adventures continue in the carriage. And the Moritz, uh, the character, is not too much into this stuff. And instead slaps the prostitute. Leaves the scene, is drunk as drunk, drunk as can be. But th- th- then just pukes it all out and he's perfectly fine. And gets the news that Carol has just received about the cotton. Yeah, he mysteriously sobers up immediately after Moritz <laughs> mentioned... Yeah, it's, he, he just climbs on, on, on this one cage. Okay, Max is having sexy time, though. And uh, Moritz is jumping around naked. Looks like they are taking turns. Uh, yeah, I, I really loved this uh, small scene when uh, Moritz is trying to get out of his room completely naked. But he notices Carol, who's leaving the Max's room. And hmm. he's apparently pissed off. So Moritz is just looking at Carol, and he just closes the door again. Uh, it's, it's just small, like funny. And then they make some agreements uh, on paper, which is always kind of a good thing to do. The insurance would mm-hmm. be even better, but uh, they put in writing that uh, Moritz will be doing this and that, buying and sending by express delivery. It could be something else. And then only now we get to the continuation to the whole Zoska case where she comes home to tell about the whole Kessler case because everybody knows it already anyway and admits the sexy moments with Kessler or at least that uh, she went to the office of Kessler and uh, can't be anything else than something sexual involved in this moment and denounces her daughter. Heavy stuff, heavy stuff. Uh, The foreman said to her that if she wouldn't be coming then throw her out of the factory rejected by her mother and she says that she doesn't want to spend her her whole life in the factory and that Kessler says he loves her and that he's gonna to marry her which is of course bullshit. Adam visits his father at the factory's uh, spinning mill where he works and asks if uh, if uh, Soha is back actually I don't know who is Soha in this film it's Soha it's, it's his uh, daughter Ah, Zofia is a better way to to call ah, Zofia. Zofia, 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 Lots of way of saying this. Yeah, of course. And the mother has thrown out uh, Zoshka, as we find out. And Kessler visits the Malinovsky 
father, they fall into the mill. Body parts are sprayed around. Kind of the most grotesque scene, perhaps, of the film. Yes. Getting kind of horror-esque and kind of humorous as well. Yes, it's, it seems very artificial, right? All this human body remains, which... <laughs> like... I'm not sure what the last part was supposed to be. Was it like really a head or, or like a boot? I or... think it was. Yeah, I, I, think I, it was I, I, I think it was supposed to be a head. Like a, yeah. a, yes, a paper, paper mache head that just gets yes, thrown, thrown on the floor. Imagine the filmmakers somewhere under the floor just prepared to throw these human body parts on the upper floor or something. You know, filmmaking is so much fun, Henrik. We have to make the film fast, fast, fast. Probably it would be made more realistic now, but to some point it's even like, you know, moving. It's not that perfect in every inch of the tape. So I even appreciate this. I'm willing to look past these funny body parts because the... You know, there's, there's a scene that happens there that the parts just starting to appear suddenly in a kind of a serious film so far. It's It was such of a mood yeah. switch for me that I laughed. Yes, exactly. But what uh, did we say what happened there that they had the fight? Right, the, the fight about the daughter. And of course, the father didn't approve what the Kessler, the uh, president, was doing. And uh, yeah, it was uh, time for battle. And they landed in this. It was actually a steam engine machine. And it, I think it was some actual machine, which was, which were something somewhere in the factory also. So it's a nice thing to know, but they didn't build it up for the needs of the movie, but they just found it somewhere in Woods. Oh, nice. Something still left from those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all these scenes in Woods are represented in a kind of a pretty ruthless light. Mm-hmm. Everybody is mm-hmm. after the bottom line. And so is also the lighting of the film is kind of, dark and fuzzy and i can't recall any or not many people of like middle class yeah or very poor people or very rich people yeah moritz now hands some money for his buddy borovetsky also mm-hmm. max is kind of ignoring his pride as well because he's putting his wedding ring into the ring so they can buy the factory because they are building a factory they are not they are building a factory yeah they are not buying an existing one, but they want to build their own. One thing that I paid attention to is that uh, in many parts of the film we noticed that, uh, okay, suddenly Moritz needs some more money, some more loans from somewhere, and then suddenly Borowiecki is getting money like what seems to be like randomly just getting money from the ladies out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It seems that there's it, there's always some need for money and then they're really, really, really happy about it. And after that, we see that, oh, they're again receiving money or they need some more money. So we never kind of know when they are having enough money. Then that, at just one point, they just start building the factory and then, then we know. Yes, yes. Yeah, but they have this... They need this money, but they have this. Uh, they they found this occasion of cotton, which which they found uh, necessary to buy before the, the tariffs go goes up. And they of course needed money for the factory, but they also have some connections in this wood. But here we get to my probably favorite scene, where Horn loses his temper once and for all. Like very mm-hmm. like a good scene for 
I guess, like a, as a Polish national feeling. The president Buholz has now decided to pay 200 rubles for the woman mm-hmm. who was asked to go to the court about the situation that his uh, her husband is dead, died in the factory before. But um, Mr. Horn wants to challenge Buholz's stance and authority. And there's a great quote, which we can get to in the favorite quote part, but basically says that I'm not interested if you're a patient or not, and uh, storms mm-hmm. off this building. Where Buholz's assistant August also gets beaten for not throwing Horn out in the first place when first called. Horn is played by Piotr Franceski, which is also a very renowned Polish actor. <laughs> I could see his behavior when he loses his temper and he stands against his boss. And finally, he tells him that he's fed up with his lack of patience and with his orders and with everything, with, with his boss himself. Uh, he's acting very naturally, so he repeats what he has told a few times. He looks really angry and like out of the tracks, let's say. So yep. I think it's a really good piece of acting as well. Definitely. There is a f- follow-up where I believe the Buholz uh, temper and uh, blood pressure is mm-hmm. still running so high that he actually now dies inside the factory itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just after this scene with Horn when Buholz, this factory owner, dies in the factory, but no one really cares about him, right? No one like the, yeah. this, this young girl who's working around. And she's just so afraid of doing anything about him that she just stepped out. She's just going somewhere else and not doing anything about him. And this is, to some point, it's I think it's the result of their previous actions with people who got hurt in the machines, around the machines, who lost their hands or died in it. So she just got uh, what he gave, <laughs> eventually. And we see the Sohas that were the peasants uh, that were addressing Karol earlier. They are now working for Karol. And the trio is talking about the business a little bit. Or was it just uh, mm-hmm. Moritz and Karol? Anyway, Karol is waking up his, in his room. Again, this like morning haze is coming through the windows. We get to mm-hmm. a moment where Mr. Kaczmarek is an uh, what looks like an uninvited guest in Kuruv where Karol and the bunch are now. And Mr. Kaczmarek is talking very loudly about uh, the German pigs. When you do business or just chat, black coffee is the best, true or false, Magda Henrik. <laughs> I um, prefer my lattes. I, latte is way too kind of a watery and way too soft. Has to be. No, no, most definitely doesn't need to be. My son's getting married, it's not him. He's no good at business. I have no use for him in which I will buy him a manor. He may become a squire. I don't know why Mr. Kaczmarek is talking about this stuff. Because at this moment, Karol looks very insulted, even though Mr. Kaczmarek is not the father of Karol. Yes? Mm-hmm. I can't recall. Maybe it's again this scene which weren't present and uh, in the shorter version which I watched uh, yesterday. Could be, yeah. 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 There's a lot of people around the table. There is Anka, Karol, was it Moritz? And then this Kaczmarek is saying how bad his son is and that he's basically useless. Uh, yeah, maybe I just took it as a, like a bubbling. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of babbling actually in this film. There's a lot of dialogue that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. So in that sense, I get this very documentary film feeling. Yes, it may just show the environment and conditions yeah. and like uh, social relations, say, of the time. We get to Buchholz's funeral. Moritz wants a better funeral than mm-hmm. Buchholz, of course. <laughs> Even though it's just to, to just say basically to brag a little bit because he has just told his his competitors that how good he was because he knew already about this rise of the tariff. There's a my favorite shot in here between. Uh, it's when the horse carriage is going uh, in a in a wide shot throughout the town, and you see a little bit of the background and a long long road behind. We can get to that and uh, oh yeah. Uh, there's a shot, I believe, the next shot after this establishing shot, you have, or this white shot, you have a woman uh, walking in the forefront, and in the background you have a goddamn car. <laughs> it's uh, it's running on the road behind her. But yeah, in the 18th century, we have an uh, automobile in the background. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the Industrial Revolution. Okay, like, pretty quick one. <laughs> well, you you got got the industry and it got revolutionized. So so there, there there's your revolutionary car industry also. Not only this moment, there's even a second moment where we see a car in the house window. Way too fast for a horse. It's now Anka handing Carol two thousand rubles and says that she's in love and nobody should be af- like embarrassed mm-hmm. of being in love. Next shot or scene is when. Carl gets the news that Lucy is pregnant. Anka is coming to Wood also, and she she says these words about not being ashamed of love. Is told just after she comes to Wood to finally live there from Kuruf. She also watches Wood with her own eyes, and camera like follows her eyes when she is traveling from Kuruf to Wood. Also fascinating this next scene where. Carol has some kind of a mental breakdown or he goes way too far. He's talking about her to-be wife. That she has taken this factory of his into some kind of a hospital or asylum usage and is being very, very, saying very bad words about this guy who was injured at his factory and they have a kind of a fight about it and the future wife is very offended. She finally sees what kind of person Carol is. She sees that he's cold, but he's unloving and it's a shock for her max urges carol to accept the loan he says no but uh, later on he will accept it anyway because he has to succumb into this to get things going then there's some flying flower pots because borovetsky is visiting the the book lady or mada and her father mainly the mm-hmm. father because now <laughs> immediately after this previous scene carol is going to ask money from mada's father muller Mm-hmm. And we get to the palace of, of the Müller, and uh, the cost of the palace was 100,000 rubles. He doesn't need it, but he keeps it for only for appearances. So He lives in his uh, very small old cottage near the palace. And again, when Mada sees uh, Carol, she makes this accident with the flower falling off the window. And it wasn't planned as well. So it was improvised after it fell down. Oh. So Mada's reaction, yes, Mada's reaction is really natural. By the, this old cottage, we have Miller's wife, which uh, has stayed a simple woman, 
shy woman who does not really want to wear all these diamonds and appear in the high society. Uh, so she just works in this old cottage <laughs> and in the kitchen. And Mada is also wearing a very simple dress. But when her father decides to walk with Carol to the palace to show him the whole venue, she decides to wear a very rich and awful dress to show that she's like elegant lady. But to be honest, she looked better in this just previous dress. I was wondering this performance when the The, when the flower falls from the window yes. because it seemed very 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 natural the reaction like it was a little yeah. bit of a delayed reaction and it seemed completely genuine and then i kept wondering why you would even make such of a, a shot scene to the to the film so that kind of explains yes so they just decided to to keep it but also i think it fits here because it shows mada's character a bit that she's maybe a bit clumsy <laughs> moritz borrows some money He promises to, I think he promises to get it back, but then he decides not to get it back <laughs> at the point he's supposed to. Oh God, that that was really weird and confusing. And then we see the <laughs> see the guy breaking the fourth wall, like out of nowhere, like really weird moment mm-hmm. for me, looking into the camera. Ah, yeah, it's it's a nice scene because it wasn't planned. Uh, it's just Wojciech Przoniak, which plays Maurice. Uh, he was bored with waiting for the director to say stop. <laughs> and uh, like they were still uh, like making it, but he wanted to stop. So he started to like, you know, playing around and uh, the director decided to keep it. <laughs> okay. Here's he it, yeah. that, yes. And he says that uh, like the meaning is he doesn't give an explanation for this. Whatever you think of it, it's yours, <laughs> let's say. I I I actually kind of kind of hate the director for pulling that one off because mm-hmm. the fourth wall breaking moments usually in, in film film usually are to signify either a specific plot point or a specific theme or motive within the movie mm-hmm. and that that like like Moritz's fourth wall break here is something I I can believe has driven film students absolutely crazy when mm-hmm. they have been trying to decipher what that fourth wall break actually means and mm-hmm. and then now hearing that it's actually completely pointless and it's just something that di- mm-hmm. the direct that happened completely on accident and director simply decided to keep on with, within the film it's it's kind of a it, it's kind of a low blow against basically every film critic out there Mm-hmm. Or it's uh, Anche Vida's uh, great moment where he suddenly forgot to make the cut in that moment and just published it and then <laughs> had to pretend that yes, oh I what? meant it all along. Yeah. <laughs> he could get rid. Of he could get rid of it uh, in the post production, but he didn't. <laughs> I I definitely felt kind of a menace in that scene. I felt that okay mm-hmm. now that this guy has been extremely ruthless and. He's so ruthless mm-hmm. that he is actually addressing the audience, like, haha, look at what kind yeah. of bastard I am. I was absolutely I was absolutely amazed because I wasn't expecting that also. So yeah. for me it was and I forgot I've forgotten it. And it was but I really liked it. It was like some kind of diabolic, maybe. Yeah, all right. Uh, hint in this that this that this is something that is like he, he can go beyond this reality. 
Mm-hmm. But in the kind of mischievous way, he appeared to me as a kind of a trickster in this position of a person who sees the camera and acts towards the camera and in the very presence of it. But as a, like, as a clown, as a trickster. Uh, then again, at, at this point of the story, he still isn't that much of a trickster. Mm-hmm. Well, like... <sighs> The the moment we are talking about is when he he borrows the thirty thousand. That's why that amazed me because it was so sudden and so like uh, breaking the story and uh, like the climate. Moritz indeed is not willing to pay the capital back that he got from Mister Krunspan, but will agree to pay the ten percent interest. And there's a quote: "You have a small fish in the head." I believe this is a very Polish uh, saying. Yes. Yes, yes. It's like it's in the book. It's exactly the same. You have small fish in the in your head. It's in Polish. We say it, "kiełbia uh, wełbia," but you're kind of crazy and you don't know what you're doing. Kiełbia is a kind of fish, and the web is head, but not very polite uh, way to say head. It's not vulgar. It's just not very official way of saying. Yeah, yeah. Max said his father went crazy. Moritz tells he got the money. Yeah, man, there's a lot of money collecting here. So priests mm-hmm. coming to bless the factory. Yeah, so the, the priest blesses the factory. There is some very funny modern versions of this where we have seen in the news where a priest is blessing a McDonald's somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, still in Poland. Still in Poland, yeah. Yes. 2019 yes. or so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maybe just stop here. Uh, commenting. Okay. <laughs> Oops, yeah, getting into the dangerous territory. And uh, then the feast follows. The priest gets properly drunk, or what seems like it. And the trio is being at their own factory. And they make this legendary quote I said that the factory would be, and here it is. Why would it burn? Mm-hmm. Zucker wants Carol to swear by Holy Mary that uh, nothing icky is going on. He's very determined to do anything for his new company, so he swears by it. People are waiting outside. So the situation involves that Carol is romantically or like financially involved with this with this lady, and now the, the you know the husband right gets information mm-hmm. about that and mm-hmm. challenges Carol. And he's also very afraid because his wife is eventually uh, pregnant after fourteen years of marriage, and if it not his child well it's not very nice for him right yeah at least here by the tables outside of the factory there's mm-hmm. Mara who gives this disappointed look when she sees Carol and Anga next mm-hmm. to each other which might be is it now the first indication that something is definitely going on mm-hmm. yes like Mada is definitely infatuated with Carol uh, and when she finds out that he's he has a fiance like which she shows up with officially She's really um, do you think Do you think it's possible that uh, she didn't know that beforehand? I guess so. I guess it's possible. Uh, it might be possible. Now, yes, or maybe she didn't. Maybe she hoped for something more after he visited her uh, and saw her palace and so on. She might be like, disappointed because of just his behavior towards his fiance, or by uh, the fact that he has a fiance. I can't tell now. There is this open door rock cottage, let's say, where Carol meets in secret with the pregnant uh, Lady Lucy. And uh, she's about mm-hmm. to go to Berlin 
actually mm-hmm. with with the husband, but uh, then she will use this location as an escape for her and cuddle, mm-hmm. or what she thinks would end would end that way, but doesn't. Yeah, you know, he risks his future marriage relationships to, just to get the get to the end point to, to what he wants. He gets loans and uh, doesn't care about any of these people. Lucy leaves with the train to Berlin then, and Zucker hears that Carol is inside the train. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, hears that, he hears that from that crazy guy who uh, is sometimes appearing in the book as well. And he appeared before in, the, in this bar, pub. True, that angry-looking guy. Yes. And he acts like crazy, but he actually informs Zucker about that meeting that uh, Lucy and Carol have in the train going to Berlin. So again, it's not in the book, because in the book, the reason for the burnout of the factory is not known for sure. Oh, wow. As far as I know, I found it one of these things that were changed and made very clear in the movie although they were not entirely clear in the book, because it might also, this fire might also come from other factory owners in and under it by the business of Karol Borowiecki. In the film, everything is made clear as day with the quote, well, Mr. Borowiecki, you should have taken out an insurance. Yes. Train scene, Karol seems kind of uninterested in everything. He has boarded the train only for what I feel is kind of the... Well, I guess he has certain feel of responsibility at this moment for the lady. And that's why he's here. Or who knows. Max is looking for Carol at Anka's. And Max tells Anka the truth about the rumors that are floating around about Madame Müller and Carol. So... And again, there's a car in the background window right here. Ah, I, I was I was watching, you know, the characters, <laughs> so I didn't uh, pay attention to. But at least in my version, uh, I believe Henrik mm-hmm. has the same version. It happens mm-hmm. at two twenty nine fifteen, so two hours twenty nine minutes fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I might just not not have noticed it. It might be there. Yeah, Max is there uh, there in a uh, close up, and uh, you have a window in the background. Yeah, it's it's really quick, like you blink and you miss it kind of moment. And the really funny thing is that how I found mm-hmm. these cars in the in the picture, I believe. Well, for the first time that I saw it, it was just like ten seconds, literally before that. Ten seconds before that, I was mm-hmm. thinking, oh, maybe there might be some bloopers, you know, because they're shooting, of course, in <laughs> 1975, so there might be cars. Yes. Then, holy cow, there is a car in ten seconds. Yes. <laughs> So it's it's a good intuition, maybe. You watched so much, so many movies that you really <laughs> know predict when it's gonna happen. Or maybe it happened before, so I was kind of, kind of mm-hmm. subconscious oh, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol and and Lucy are having some fun in the train. Well, Carol not so much. The acting is <laughs> extremely over the top in this film right at this moment, yes. and weirdly, Lucy has been dubbed in in this moment. Yes, it's uh, she's uh, like it's also about Kalina Yanbushik. She's that kind of she was that kind of a woman, you know, very expressive, uh, very voluptuous, very like uh, she also had some like men lovers, for example. So she was that kind of a woman which was seductive, 
which was really um, like overacting. I think also in her in her life, she swore a lot, like using bad words all the time. Yes, so so it, it was also kind of how she was. Henrik, what's the next scene? I guess that would be the burning factory. Correct. Ten points on a parrot mark, as we say in Finland. Mm. Yeah, so many people are running in flames. They were gonna mm. seem to be having fun with this, you know, uh, flame costumes. <laughs> but many innocent people are getting dead because of this. There seem to be explosions in this factory. Anka realizes mm-hmm. why the factory is burning when she gets near the factory and takes a quick look at Max. Mm-hmm. Seems to be so heartbroken or, I don't know, more like angry. Then Carol gets the news about the fire and uh, Lucy is kind of clueless here as well. Like, Yaka fabrika, moja fabrika, no? So, <laughs> my factory. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's like, she's kind of so self-oriented, but she doesn't even like notice anything. She, I think during this um, train, she eats all, almost all the time. She's eating something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, this lady sure knows how to take advantage of her class, kind of splurging, like <laughs> taking it really to yeah. like disgusting level. Yes. She, she has access to everything, but she acts like a child with the food. Exactly. All right, standing in the ruins of the factory now, the culprit is found and gets some kicks from Max, but only laughs. Culprit is this boom boom, this crazy guy. Who oh, it's the same guy. Oh. Yes, it's the same guy. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, good point. Yeah. Here we go with the horror music once again, and Ank mm-hmm. gives away the ring. So does Carol. Carol mm-hmm. seems to have no emotion whatsoever regarding the situation. Thereafter, Trio is sitting at the table. Max blames Cuddle and his affairs for everything that happened and fight, fight. Yes, they have a good uh, clearing atmosphere fight. Uh, seems that they are very good friends because they are able to laugh it off in a way and they repeat the <laughs> quote. And now again, they have nothing at all, which is just enough. Yes, so but they also didn't lose anything eventually because they had nothing, so they had nothing to lose. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, th- then again, Moritz actually did lose on this situation because the 30,000 that he got earlier, that was a loan, which he still has to pay mm-hmm. back and he had made the promise of the yearly 10% mm-hmm. interest for that loan. And taking that loan the way how he did, like blindsiding the moneylender he did business with, that also caused him mm-hmm. personal relationship to that person. So in, in that sense... When they make the notion that that we didn't lose anything, that that holds mm-hmm. true for Max and and Carol. Sure, but I think they would find a way out of it as well as they always did. It's not the end of the movie, but uh, again we can see them few years after, mm. and uh, Morris is still present in there. Um, Morris is and the same moneylender is is still mm-hmm. with him uh, acting friendly mm-hmm. so yeah whatever drift was caused between them by Morris's actions mm-hmm. it did got amended eventually I think so even Carol got new ways to like deal with borrowings like this and like paying off his debts and even probably debts of Morris I was really surprised to see these guys still back in business, at least the 
bar, bar <laughs> of the old group there and uh, seems like they made some kind of a, what suggests to be some kind of a coalition between everybody so the big bosses are now at the same table with some kind of a huge empire which has taken over which apparently is so so much that uh, indeed they are willing to kill people one reason of course being that the factory of Carl was burned to the ground before he doesn't want to repeat the incident and he's starting to be kind of a mafia boss around here mm-hmm. yeah so i think this because we can see Carl again after a few years when he's married to mada when yeah. he has a young son and they have this meeting with the high society but uh, also there are some strikes outside uh, the machines uh, have stopped working and we can see it's very strange because before we could see uh, factories always working and with this like with this noise also so we can see it empty and silent and people which are gathering uh, like before the palace where probably Carol is living here now and he's the very respected member of the society. He's at the head of the table, kind of suggesting that maybe yes. he's running the whole show now. Businessman takes a decision on whether to shut people or not. How? How come? Like now it's, it's, it's impossible, for example, that owner of the company could say that, oh, there are strikes, we need to shut people down. How? Yeah, there is this very, very long kind of a dolly shot across the table, which takes like, mm-hmm. I don't know, half a half a minute. And then he makes the decision that we have to get rid of rid of this guy who just threw the rock inside the palace. Maybe you have some, you know, cultural insight. Was, this, was there like a witch kind of a uprising against these Lodgermensch monsters or... Uh, as, far as, as far as I found... It's a revolution of 1905 in, in Poland. Well, what's the flag that the guy is holding, do you know? Or this cloth? It's a red cloth, right? The yeah. one who holds down on the road. It's a yeah. communistic flag. Communistic it's a, flag. I suppose, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I suppose that it's a, it's com, it's a, it was probably a tribute to communistic party because it was made in 1974, the, the whole movie. But people responsible for this revolution were mostly workers and people engaged in like workers' movements. So yeah, I read that the, this film was accepted by the uh, the the censors of of the USSR because uh, this was still not against communism. It was kind of actually supporting communism mm-hmm. at least at the end of the film, or you know. Being kind of new, neutral in that sense. It was also, for me, it's definitely anti-capitalist. <laughs> right, anti-capitalist. Yes, because it shows the like the well the relations between capitalists and like rich businessmen and very poor rest of the world. The book ending is very different. It's uh, no, there are no strikes. Uh, Karol is very burnt out. He works a lot. Mada is his wife. They have a child, a son, but he doesn't feel connected to her all at all. Uh, he's unhappy. Uh, he works thousand or so hours a day. Uh, doesn't have time for anything else. So he kind of came like his dreams came true, but he's definitely unhappy and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he meets Anka. 
who just who established few years ago daycare home or care home for for little children and she has a purpose in her life and he finds out that uh, like work just working and just working for himself and even making money making millions of rubles is pointless if he doesn't work for anything and anyone by but himself so he decides to change to transform hmm. it's a very strange ending it's a very strange ending in this book i i felt it's not i felt it's artificial and like holes but well it's the end of the book in the movie it looks very different interesting oh i have one more curiosity about the movie or two even two Mm. About this uh, orgy in the Kessler's palace mm. when there was this tiger. Yeah. Uh, so the tiger didn't want to cooperate. It was rather bored and tired and just slept in its cage. So they needed to make another pot yeah. in the zoo with another tiger. <laughs> just, you know, after, uh, afterwards. Stunt women who were playing this girls like prostitutes and so on they probably drank too much and they really went much too far <laughs> and much of uh, like the majority of it needed to be just cut off because it was too much for the like, not the <laughs> porn movie <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I, I saw the tiger as uh, once again a metaphor for the metaphor for kind of watch and its people Yes, I think so. Yes. Looks like Henrik is now the only one who has the list of the favorite this and that, the quickies. Okay. Henrik, do you want to lead us in the quickies? Uh, yeah, I can do that if everybody is ready. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, with that out of the way, I guess it would be the quickies, oh. right? Uh, I suppose so, if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The well, roles yeah, have yeah. switched. <laughs> yeah, the roles have, have switched. We are, we are going through a film about capitalism and you are stealing from my playbook. <laughs> to to stay, stay on with the tradition, we can start with the first one. The pe- best image not to exemplify any film we have covered in this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, your favorite performance in today's film? Um, it's not very clear cut. But Carol gets a lot of screen time and he has facial expressions, so Carol. <laughs> that he does, that he does. Like, de- definitely the most most screen time and is also, I-, I would say, the most expressive on the main, thri- main trio of-, of the film. So, yeah, Daniel Olbritsky, also from my end. Uh, he's probably one of the best like film actors. Many scenes are so overplayed, so I I'm not a big fan of that really. I I, I don't know. In, in my opinion, Daniel also goes quite overboard quite often, especially in the in the dance hall scene or basically every, any scene where he's supposed to be ecstatic to be around with the ladies. His facial expressions are just all over the place. That's true. Maybe I just kind of ignored that because I thought it's his. Kind of this uh, this yucky personality that he he wants to be a little bit he wants to be this playboy definitely very artificial appearance favorite performance Magda from this film Wojciech Przaniak Moritz oh really okay yes yes for me it's the one yeah for you Moritz okay I thought that the actor of Moritz was well, okay. 
it was once again one of those overperformances here. He 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 was the he was the second best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, maybe. Well, then again, it's maybe it's his expression to a point. Maybe I'm just used to it. Yeah, that's what happens a lot in in this podcast that you. You have watched some film 500 times and then you come into this podcast and somebody breaks breaks down all of your good memories about a film and makes you look at it in a completely <laughs> completely n- n- not good way. Now that is the reason why you should never actually cover films you you actually like in any film podcast. Yeah, Henrik has like ruined <laughs> ha- half of the Bond movies for me already here, in a way. Still, still waiting for to ruin the other half for you. <laughs> But yeah, the favorite scene. Well, for for me that would be the nighttime factory burning, like the the, the scene when be, the people are mm-hmm. running down the street covered in flames, and and Anka is wa- making her way towards the factory, and there is all that chaos. Uh, for me, definitely the scene where Mister Mister Horn goes berserk at Buholtz. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the. Seen in the theater because it's so grotesque and it kind of reveals the demonic nature of the whole situation. Yeah, that I would pick it. And it's also the very first scene I always think of when I think of Jimmy Abitsama. Yeah. So how about favorite quote then? Kokori has has been on a rampage here, giving us a lo- lots of legendary quotes from the film. <laughs> So if you would have to pick just one of them, what would it be? I thought that I have to go back to the Mr. Horns versus Buholtz once again, because the the quote is kind mm-hmm. of funny. It seems that for a moment, Mr. Horn is losing his self-confidence and he just keeps on rambling about the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it goes like this. <clears throat> I'm not interested if you're patient or not. I don't need to know if you're patient. Stop interrupting me, you German lout. I am speaking now. Horn is speaking, and you will listen to me as long as I am standing here and talking. Shut up! Now I am speaking. Please don't... I warn you, I don't need to know if you're patient or not. It's all the same to me. Don't interrupt me. I can see no reason why I should be silent when you're talking. I'm not interested in whether you're patient or not. Farewell. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole tantrum where Horn <laughs> goes over, over again... Stating that he should not be silenced, and then mm-hmm. and that he's the one speaking now, and actually doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. On, on my end, well, it, it it is the most repeated quote from the film. I have nothing, you have nothing, and he has nothing. That means together we have enough to start a factory. I was convinced that you would go with the what was it like? I promised us a factory, and. Now it's there. Who needs an insurance? Who's gonna burn down our our factory? No, no, I'm I'm way way too paranoid to ever pick up a quote where there is such a disregard towards insurances. Well, for me, probably what we are most familiar with in Poland again, what Henrik chose uh, is I have nothing, you have nothing, you have nothing, so we have enough to establish a factory. Yeah. Okay. Grotesque characters, grotesque flicklap hosts, so it's time, <laughs> I guess, for the next category. Yeah, the grotesque favorite kill. For me, it's the second guy who is running down the street in flames. How, how, how the hell can it be the second guy? Like, why, what is so special about the second guy? Because you can take it for, for, for... You can take that moment once, 
when it comes twice, it was kind of humorous to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that uh, that's interesting because in, when it comes to this film, there's just one correct answer, and that is the Malinovska and Kessler two in one gore shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the that makes sense. Because for me, it's this Malinovsky's death with this factory owner together in the steam machine. It's like you can see that these body parts are artificial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you can you can even even see after the head has been thrown out the, by by the machine, it's rolling on the floor. You you can see that the head is trying to roll once again towards the machine, kind of a, go go underneath the floorboards, and something just pushes the head back up. <laughs> yes, uh. yeah, there was something like that. <laughs> Silence of the Labs. Yeah, it's it's the random confusing question. Do you want to take it or, or will I? Oh, that's the category I don't understand, so maybe you would like start. And then... No, no, it's... it's Nobody understands it. It, it, it. It's simply, you know, just just a question for me yeah. and Kari so that we can... We have to answer to some question and we stop thinking about the film when providing the answer. Ah, okay, okay. Henrik, if you have something on the radio, just go. So, Gary, would you be up to starting a factory? Because I have nothing and you have money, so how about it? <laughs> Who says I have money? <laughs> Who says I want to build a factory? <laughs> yeah, you, you are the one in the working life. Yeah. Unfortunately, I prefer something more remote. I, I would, uh, I would, uh, I would build a digital factory. I could, oh. I could make a video game about this movie. Oh, nice. oh so, it's a nice idea to make a, vi- a video game, uh, Promised Land. <laughs> so so you, you would want to make a video game about a movie that actually deals with subject matter, that uh, how, how industrialization and machines are replacing manual labor and driving people out of their jobs. And in order to make this game, you would start a digital factory that would not have any employees. Did I <laughs> did I did I just got this one right, Curry? No, you would you oh, would no, play with a video game needs illustrators, it needs programmers, I suppose. It needs plenty of people. Nah, Curry is just gonna digitalize all that and outsource <laughs> it to the AI. <laughs> <clears throat> no, no, I would go more traditional route. This is a historical period anyway in this film, so. Okay, we would have Karol Borowiecki as the main character, and uh, Borowiecki goes to his factory, and he has this kind of a whip that he can use for the people working at his factory. Of course, once you proceed with Karol Borowiecki in the game, then you get more characters, like the Dirty Kessler. But mm-hmm. um, uh, also, there is this problem that you can't release this game because it's getting too crazy. Yeah, also, dear listeners, please take note that when pushed on the subject matter, would Kari just digitalized the whole factory and not hire any workforce to work for him? Kari opted to describe the game itself. <laughs> but so, Kari, the first image that comes to mind... Mada dropping the flower pot. <laughs> okay. In, in my end, the first image is apparently the dance hall suicide. When oh. there's the one dude just lying on the floor and everybody just mm-hmm. looking at the guy so, and thinking that. Yeah, apparently he, just, he has just shot himself in the face. 
you know, honestly, it's for me, it's kind of interesting how people get uh, stuck into some frame of a film. For example, now I'm stuck in the in the flower pot shot, and then I suppose you are all, most of the time having this shot in your mind. Like, what's the reason why? Like, so here we are. Maybe because it was incidental. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it looked it looked a bit odd in comparison to other. Yeah, or, or it will just reveal more secret uh, or not so secret uh, parts mm-hmm. of Henrik's psyche. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I most likely you know after the end of the run of or of the flick lab, I I suddenly find myself locked up into some uh, sanitarium. <laughs> We have, been, we have been listening your comments in, in this movie podcast. And it's it's our estimate that you need professional help immediately. <laughs> and for me, as I told before, it was the scene uh, at the theater. Yeah. So, Henrik, what kind of a professional help is coming next? I I, I think as a, as a professional help, I'm, I'm skipping over which image best exemplifies this film because I hate that category. Okay. And in, in, instead, we are asking <laughs> what took took us out of the film. It's too long, and a little bit babbly, in my opinion. That it is. That was also my main problem with this one. Also, some of the camera angles oh. were a bit too artistic for my taste. Seeing what they were trying to say, like like at, at times it works. Like for example, in the dance hall, in the close-ups on the person's faces, like Magda pointed out, it makes them look grotesque and kind of hideous. And in, in those moments, yeah, the, the weird camera angles and that extreme close-up from the cinematography, it does work out and it helps to create the effect. But there was there were some shots that I was just... I, I felt were a bit too artistic. And I, I, I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way altogether. Uh, the kind of a rounded lady at theater swinging. That, that, that one, uh... that, that one, that was, that was one of them. Also the Morris's fourth wall hand wave <laughs> was something that I didn't appreciate when I saw it. Yeah, the swing seemed kind of redundant. Maybe it was something fancy going on once again. I, I, I just kept waiting when when the swing is gonna break and the lady is gonna fly over, fly through the air and land in the audience right it doesn't go into fruition of any kind magda for me it was maybe this kind of making some aspects flatter not but deepened and like saying everything like not leaving anything to the imagination like it's all said here, and also this we we say that it's in Polish. We say that it's narysowane grubą kresko. So draw with the thick line, and it's like that. It's mm. if it's a caricature, it's it's a caricature. It's it's like the characters have just one ma- main aspect, and they are in most cases they do not have much more in themselves. Apart from the ending, it's quite quite self-explanatory. Yeah. Would you say that the book is also less clear in uh, less clear lines yes. in the story? Yes, and the book has like different psychology of characters and not that clear distinctions between who's good and who's not good. Yeah, something like that. I'm the last person to say that 
uh, that the movie needs to follow a book uh, in this flavor way. Each is uh, like the piece of a different art. So they do not have to be the same and they do not have to point out the same aspects. But in this, and also this like drawing with, with this thick line here in the movie makes sense at some point. But anyways, I would probably appreciate some more psychology here than the caricature. Yeah. Mm. With, with <clears throat> that sentiment, it bears to remember that this was supposed to be Wajia's kind of an entry film to Hollywood and into global markets. Mm-hmm. He, he was really banking on this one, this movie being the one that gets him Hollywood directing jobs and makes him mm-hmm. and ma- makes his name known in most especially in America. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a ex- explains why why this was the book he decided to film. The book covers that or the story is about money. And Vajia mm-hmm. felt that that was a very American theme, something that can easily break break through mm-hmm. in, in America. And that might also tie into what, what you said about why everything is made so clear, why everything is constantly being explained mm-hmm. and there is not that level of, of psychology that maybe Vajda didn't believe in the, enough in American audiences. To kind of keep himself from constantly handholding the audience. Yeah, probably. Well, well noted. Uh, but yeah, but as I said before, to some point it makes sense and it makes this film, this movie, really powerful also in expression. Mm. Yeah. Sadly, the American conquest didn't plan out because the mm-hmm. movie got flagged with the claims of anti Semitism. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no surprise. <laughs> Even though wrongly. I yeah, but well, it's I I was thinking about it very strongly, but I suppose it's not um, against any nationality. It's just about money. And well, it, well, that that yeah. that is the 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 claim that Wida himself has made, and those who defend the film. And I I too I I'm willing to believe that that. He wasn't aiming to be anti-Semitist, but I can I can see where that argument stems from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isn't sure. Isn't that just course. depicting the times? Just simple as that. These anti- anti-Semite actions were very strong in the book, like stronger, not oh, everywhere, okay. but yeah, but it was stronger, and Vida actually made it uh, not that strong. But yeah, of course, it's understandable. Yeah, but but somebody might found it in it. I think. All people are presented there in not a very, very favorable way. Yeah, that, that is the case. Yes, it's not very flattering to anyone. No, no, they they are all all quite horrible people. Yes, maybe but Anka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 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 counting in Anka. Yes. To, to, to see where where the claim that the film would have would be anti-Semitist stems from. There, there is still the kind of a take that if if you su- mm-hmm. use certain type of imagery that is extremely loaded mm-hmm. and has a strong historical subtext behind it it's easy to kind of a offend people by by using that imagery i'm not just saying that that you shouldn't yeah. use it like you you have the right to use it the film has the right to use it i'm not i understand that. yeah I, i'm not like like founding the film 
for how the Jewish characters act in the film and the imagery the film uses. But at the same time, I can very well understand why others were offended by it. Of course, of course, I understand it as well. Yeah, it, it uses stereotypes and uh, it uses it. It uses it a lot, <laughs> so that's yeah. Of course, that's not very flattering stereotypes. Yeah, still not making the case that Wider would have been an anti-Semitist. I that's that's not the reason reading I got from the film. Just to just to make it clear. Mm-hmm. But from the okay. from from anti-Semitism to our next quickie, what put put you in? Naked Moritz. No, I'm <laughs> going with the the history of watch in in general that you get with this 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 whole history lesson package in this film mm-hmm. yeah that's what i can think from this film it, it was actually really hard to figure out what it is i mean the, because there's not like this high point that i could think of i would also say that it's watch like it's the, the uh, actually the greatest performance in this movie is watch so even not Wojciech Pronyang but watch itself as a hero of the movie yeah Mm. On on my end, I it, it was the three mains, the main characters, and also mm-hmm. those shots about the industrialized woods. Good for you. <laughs> 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 that that that's that yeah, that's all he said. <laughs> But mm-hmm. the scissors of sacrilege. What would each one of us cut from the film, if anything? I would try to probably reduce some of the characters if I could, or I would definitely make the character introductions more heavy, like you could figure out who is who, because sometimes you don't get the names until very late in the mm-hmm. film, and you might confuse the characters, at least I did at some point. I would make it much tighter, because it's overly long for me, for the point that it's making. I I too would shorten the film. I, I At its current form, the version we... We saw it, it ran almost for three hours. And mm-hmm. during that time, you really do get the message that capitalism is bad. <laughs> But on, on top of that, I would also kind of kind of make it take a deeper look at capitalism. Like how capitalism mm-hmm. works, the machinations of capitalism, and how these characters really benefit from capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like on, on a mechanical side, how, how does mm-hmm. this act... For example, how, how does this act? How that? How does the tariffs affect the price of wool? And how do, how does that affect these characters? How do how do these char- three main characters game the system? I would kind of pay more focus on that. But Henrik Vida is not making a statement about capitalism, as I see it. He's mm-hmm. making a statement about the industrial revolution. Oh, okay, and capitalism, like how that like that turn of events, not. Specific, specifically capitalism, but uh, what was happening at the time, at that during that revolution, to those people. But um, yeah, well, to me, capitalism and industrial revolution go kind of a hand in hand. But I didn't see mm-hmm. it as like anti-capitalist or anything like that. To to me, on the other hand, it did read as an anti-capitalist film. Like to, to mm-hmm. me, this was more about about anti-capitalism than than even about about the industrial revolution itself mm. yeah in a way in a way kind of like a historical historical record it was like a political writing you know like a commentary to, to the situation the well whole movie. 
Yeah, th- th- this is this is the moment where we and Kari have seen this film uh, through a completely different lens. To, to mm-hmm. Kari, this is kind of a more documentaristic take and a historical record, and to me, this is this is more a tale of fiction and a depiction of an anti-capitalist sentiments. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that it's uh, trying to tell the story of how industrial revolution just was kind of like a painstaking phase in the Polish history. Plus, this was the kind of film that was easy to go past the censors because of obvious Mm -hmm. reasons. Yeah, I think uh, it definitely has this historic uh, aspect. (laughs) Okay, next therapy session, Henrik. Well, this one will be kind of the toughest one. I, uh, I would guess you really know you're watching The Promised Land when... Dot, dot, dot. You really know you're watching The Promised Land when you're suffocating in coal. When you see these three heroes, like Karol Borowiecki, uh, Moritz and Max together. Okay, and I, I would also add that you you really know it very much at this moment. You can just go outside in Warsaw and take a little of a, little of a walk. Too much coal in, in the air. But yeah, if you if you want to get into the same feelings of those times, I believe, then go ahead. Visit Warsaw. I'm sorry, Warsaw. I love you, Warsaw, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> What What's so bad about Warsaw? <laughs> air quality. Yeah, yeah, but don't, don't you guys have the air purification units for that? Oh, well, I wish they did. And even <laughs> if they do, we're <laughs> suffocating. Kari, do you live in Warsaw at the moment? Are you living in Warsaw? Yeah, I live in the center of Warsaw. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, I tried to go... Back to Finland because they offered the work, but the, it was a nightmare, and I quit after the oh. first day and came back to Poland. <laughs> so uh, sorry to hear it didn't work with Finland, but oh no, no I'm super happy. I was kind of uh, suffocating in the pure mm-hmm. air air of Helsinki. I mean, it's just it's a small city, <laughs> and Helsinki is so small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helsinki, air and pure. All, all in the same sentence. Definitely. In comparison. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was hoping that you wouldn't notice and I could simply <laughs> skip this one. Because you guys took all, all, all the fun out, out of the whole category, which, which for the record is Curry's invention. So all the blame goes to him. But actually, yeah, actually, you... actually, it's invented by uh, another podcast, but we don't talk about it. <laughs> so, so yeah, so in, in in the capitalist film, Kari also steals from other po- other podcasts. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, you two gave way too professional and way too deep in the film answers. I I had to kind of rethink my my answer for this question, but I would say that you really know you're watching The Promised Land when the dance hall scene and the grotesque nature of human condition hits you in the face. <laughs> mm, okay. yeah. uh, grotesque in many ways. Plastic body parts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so how about the three adjectives to describe The Promised Land? Uh. Do, do they need to be adjectives, or maybe they can be nouns? <laughs> yeah, you 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 are a guest in the podcast. You can cheat <laughs> and just use nouns. <laughs> Because no, actually, no adjectives come to my mind now. But I'd say it's a masterpiece. It's about wood, <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe it's a bit 
hectic some sometimes adjective at the end it shows yeah. the hectic nature of the city and this industrial revolution as well. but that it does that it does and that that's something that the cinematography really does push through quite well and quite strongly with the constant cutting to the close-ups on other people's faces and and using a lot of quick cuts here and there on on my my adjectives would be artistic for its presentation, mm-hmm. horrifying because of that those grotesque close-ups that are used every now and then, and even quite often in the film, and topical because well the the same problems that the film presents here, like like the the getting rid of the manual manual of workforce, automating that the, the workforce, the environmental damage. That industrialization has on on nature and in people. Those are still all themes that apply even today's world. So it's kind of up to date. In in my opinion, it's up to date. Then again, if if you make a film about capitalism, it, it it's quite easily for that film to be up to date since we still live in a in a capitalistic world. Mm-hmm. I would say that it's uh, very unscrupulous. Or like ruthless, it's frightening. It has a scenes of horror out of out of ran- at random places. And mood-wise, it's kind of mild mm-hmm. uh, from beginning to end. It's th- there are of course those 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 main points that happen. The factory catches fire and so on. And I, I feel that it's uh, not trying to be very strong, which is once again supporting my argument for this documentary like feel in my mind. Yeah. So. We are in down to two questions. The first one being, did you guys check your watches when, while watching the film? I did. I did, but I always do. But I always do. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Yeah, it's like I can't focus anymore for two hours and 18 minutes. I'm the, like, the victim of social media in that aspect. <laughs> Unfortunately, because... You have to watch this film for the flick lab, and then you start watching, and after ten minutes, you're like, "Oh my god, how much still I have to go through?" I had to check my watch because mm-hmm. there's so much information and so much to understand to prep for this episode. Unlike what Henrik was actually saying before we started recording. What what was I saying before we started recording? You said that it was a really clear cut, and there was not much to research. It it was more like a <laughs> big job for you to go through the film. <laughs> Well, well, you you know you can just blame yourself. You you are the one who wa- insisted on your own in- personal end to research industrial revolution before tackling a film about <laughs> industrial revolution. <laughs> Doesn't sound very far fetched to research. No, no, it's 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 easy and small topic. I was discussing this actually with my friend. He was asking, "What am I doing?" Well, you know, I am with your life. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was like, I, I need to read like 50 pages about Industrial Revolution. And then he goes like, oh, why the hell would you do that? Podcast? Yeah, that that's the excuse today. Just try to try to come up to a new one next week when you are reading Das Kapital. <laughs> this is like self-inflicted gunshots. <laughs> These pretty much are like... 
But but you know it's it's always good the good way to suicide is is doing a film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you you can really alienate your friends and relatives yeah. by doing this. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, if if you don't if you want to cut connections with your mom, you can start doing a podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I don't even remember what, what my mom looked looks like anymore. If it's a way to grow up, you know, you feel too much connected to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, but... and for the record, I too did check up my watch when watching this film. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sharing is caring. <laughs> and talking about sharing, it's it's the last category and i i guess guess the hardest one because i i get the feeling that that me and Kari might be on opposite ends when it comes to this one would you guys recommend the film i'm sorry what was the question <laughs> <laughs> would, would, would you would you recommend industrial revolution <laughs> definitely <laughs> Connecting people. <laughs> um, yeah, but w- would you would you recommend the, today's movie? Like mentioned, like five times already by me in this podcast, it's overly long. I feel that the performances are too over the top many times. I feel that even though the film has a structure, it kind of doesn't have any like high points. It's very like stable in its mood and atmosphere. I would say it has a lot of babble, as mentioned, which is, of course, this documentarian thing, once again. Then again, it makes very good points about, like, historical moments of Poland, and it's a very important movie, because it's directed by Andrzej Wajda, so what can I say? Um, yeah, uh, I, w- I, I, I would give, a, like, a lukewarm recommendation, because I, I'm not the biggest fan of this film, but I, I can respect what it's doing, and it's definitely a film to watch once even if you might not enjoy the way that the story is told in the film. It has great quotes, great dialogue at times, strong characters. It's a good blend of actors. Um, uh, uh, just, ah, uh, Henrik. Yeah, uh, uh, ho- holy shit, because I, I, I feel the same way, same way about, about the film. This was very, ah, uh, to me too. And I, I was actually, I, I was dreading this, this question. Because I, I was certain that, that you would have liked it. And I knew that Magda does consider this one a masterpiece, which would then make me kind of the asshole and the bad guy of, of today's no, episode. No, 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 no. no. Because... You know, it's, 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 it's like what you have to say. I'm, wow, I'm, Henrik. I'm also... Wow. I'm also, Here it comes. I'm, I'm so goddamn sorry. Here it comes. But I... I I would recommend it. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, kidding. It. I I can't recommend <laughs> it. No, no, no recommendation from my end, unfortunately. And this oh. is this is this is this is this is something that that may purely purely be on you know me not really for me being a fiend, me me not getting that that Polish historical text and not not seeing the Polish history and not connecting with that side of the film. And mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. seeing the the movie like Curry sees it as a as a documentary take on a historical event. To me, this was an anti-capitalistic movie, very strongly. 
And on, on that note, I I did feel that this one didn't go deep enough into capitalist. This this kind of to me this was very much an artist's take on capitalism. Like mm-hmm. you you see you see these big obvious entities, big obvious things, most mm-hmm. definitely things that kind of a show to you that capitalism is is bad and it it leads into moral corruption. There are the machines that rip people's arms off. There are the corporate magnates that 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 sexually assault the workforce and that there is that taking the purity that 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 pure factory worker who then mm-hmm. gets ravaged by by the corporate magnate. And to me that's that's all kind of a too big in in a sense. I've I've seen that kind of a hundred times already. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like the modern art pieces which which are anti capitalist Actually, this probably happened a lot in the, you know, this sexual assaults on workers. It most definitely did happen, and it it also happens today. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that that that's not what happen happens. Mm-hmm. Also, the faulty machinery causing injury to workforce that is also something that is has been a problem with with factories and with machines, and is even mm-hmm. today. As we, for example, the Human Rights Watch and other sources give you this, give you these reports on how how the workers have been injured by poor work environments, and also reports on all these mal malpractices on factories. But that still wasn't kind of a deep enough depiction of capitalism to me. Mm-hmm. That, that 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 was still kind of a too simplistic mm-hmm. and too much the easy marks the the easy images the mm-hmm. the kind of a even cliche images that mm-hmm. that you can you everybody uses when they criticize capitalism in in a movie and i was constantly expecting this one to go deeper into the capitalism and how capitalism works mm-hmm. and i didn't feel that this ever actually did it Yeah, there is the difference because I didn't see it as primarily as an anti-capitalist piece like you did. And I certainly understand that since you haven't probably ever gone to the city of Wuch, you haven't seen these old factories there made of these bricks getting into the vibe. And, uh, you know, well, I've been living in Poland for four years, so I have like a different point of view to that. I can understand why this would not really appeal to international audience, even though it's about industrial revolution. There's a lot of context missed there if you're not Polish or live in Poland or have some connection to Poland. Well, maybe I'm just not objective as well as a Polish <laughs> woman. <laughs> uh, yeah, but and I like it showing the not the noblemen because we had a lot of noblemen and all the literature uh, or or a big part of literature was depicting noblemen and what they are doing and so on. But it's about businessmen who come from different um, environments and different backgrounds, and about also these poor people. And I also like the way it uh, it showed the the city itself. Maybe I'm also used to this kind of acting, and I actually think thought that it's the it's the quality of this 
movie as well. Like this expressive acting means something and is used to show something. Yeah, the, uh, there's nothing wrong with the film per se, mm-hmm. but I felt that it was kind of a, well, planned is a kind of a hard word because there can be mm-hmm. several types of interpretations for the word planned, but just the mood was kind of monotonous in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understood. Like, it's, uh, I actually, I'm really happy to hear uh, some opinions from outside, from outside Poland. So from people who are not really always who, who do not know the background and who do not know mm. all of this historical and political burden we all have in Poland <laughs> and the context and the, who do not the context because it's also very it's, it's good for me to hear it yeah but even with all this said I would still like recommend it on this podcast uh, and I would recommend it definitely for for anyone who Well, anyone, uh, because it, if you have any interest in Poland, then please check out the film. It's kind of about your responsibility. Uh, like you, for Finns, it would be the responsibility to watch The Unknown Soldier, even though you might not be the biggest fan. But it's something that everybody has to goddamn watch. And Henrik is raising the axe. <laughs> Immediately. Like it's, it's a good thing that you live in Poland, you mo- <laughs> mother motherlandless vine. <laughs> <clears throat> I was kidding, I'm the biggest fan, but the new version. Oh, oops. I don't know why this took so long. Well, because it's a three-hour movie. <laughs> true, true, yeah. <laughs> I'm not waiting forward to our Lord of the Rings episodes if we ever get this. We don't do oh. those. <laughs> that, that's where I draw the fucking line. Thank you, Magda, for Thank you joining us. Thank you a lot for the invitation and yeah. for the fruitful conversation <laughs> we had. I hope. No, so it was. Th- thank you. Thank you for coming to our aid. And w- once again, being a magnificent... Goddamn thank ability you. to speak. Magnificent <laughs> quest. Thank you very much. All right. And uh, you can try to sexually assault us on our social media pages. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, oh. YouTube. You can okay. start your own industrial revolution by watching this film if you didn't already. And join, join the challenge of watching... 20 films from 20 different countries, which is the challenge that is going throughout the year 2019. Uh, at the end of the year, me and Henrik will be completely wasted. But apart <laughs> from that, we'll invite one of our listeners to talk about these 20 films, because there probably will be only one listener who who has gone through those films at the end of the year. But surprise me, dear <laughs> listeners. All right, I'm out of here. See you later. Until next week. Oh,